0: So, uh, with that, let's get into this. Let's get into this sermon. I hope you guys are excited as I am. Uh, I mean, I know. I just, I just hope that that's the case because it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be intense. So make sure that your loins are girded. We started. Uh, we started this. We started. We started this series two weeks ago with a little bit of intro. Of introduction. Now we're going to get into just a verse-by-verse verse walking through of the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, you guys are, ah, oh, I'm just, I'm so excited. Anyway, okay, so we're going to start with the famous Beatitudes. And so, and so to do that, I want to do a short kind of introduction to like what, what, what we should expect from the Beatitudes. And then I want to talk about the first one. Now, whenever we do a sermon on just one verse of scripture, we're not going to have somebody else Read the scripture. We're just all gonna read it together. Uh because also that's a that's 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 another way for us to kind of drill in ourselves that we're without excuse. If I have to say these words, then I'm then I'm implicated in them. So that's what we're gonna do. So please stand for the reading of God's word. And I tweaked the I tweak the translation, I tweaked the translation a little bit, um so that it uh so that it becomes a little bit more clear. But Matthew 5, verse 3. Happy are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's say it. Let's say it together three times. Happy are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. One more time. Happy are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. One more time. Happy are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. So, Sermon on the Mount, it starts with, these, start with, it starts with these, these, these nine statements that begin with the word, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. So on and so forth. And when Jesus says this word over and over and over again, it indicates to us that it ought to be important. So it's important that we understand what that word means. As a matter of fact, understanding what that word means is actually gonna help us understand not just the Beatitudes, but this entire sermon. So don't worry, I won't hold you in suspense. What that word blessed, makarios, what it means is happy, or as one scholar says, flourishing. The beatitudes are not just kind of articulating attitudes that you should have, or 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 as some have said, attitudes that you should be, get it, be attitudes gross. The, what, what 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 the what the what the Latin word beatus if you guys can repeat after me beatus, beatus beatus if you break it down it means it means having been made happy so if you're if you're a grammar nerd what that is is it, it's a it's a perfect passive participle what that what that means is that it's in the perfect tense that is it's it's something that's happened in the past that has effects now it's a completed action but it's also passive that is it's something that has been done to you Something that has been done and currently has effects and it, and it has been done to you. That is the happiness that God, that, that, that Jesus is, is describing throughout these Beatitudes is a current happiness and it's a happiness that has been bestowed by God. That is, this is the true picture of happiness. This is the true picture of, of human flourishing. This is the true picture of what a godly person looks like. And what a godly community looks like. That means this is not a future happiness. This is Christ saying these are the people who are truly happy now. And that's going to be important, especially as we talk about this, this first beatitude. But those are the things that we really need to know. We need to know that blessed means happy, and that it doesn't mean It's going to be an important distinction. So follow, so follow, so follow with me here. This this doesn't mean that God is going to bless you if you are this way. What it means is that God has blessed you if you are this way. And you are actually flourishing as a person if you are this way. On the other hand, if you are not this way, then you're not flourishing according to Jesus. If you look through the Beatitudes and, you, and, you, and, 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 and none of it describes you, as a matter of fact, if you, if you look through it and, and, just all, and you recoil at all of those things, well, we're going to come to understand them over the course of our time together. But I want us to understand that, 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 that this is Jesus' picture of what it means to be a truly human being. And these are descriptions not only of Jesus himself, but they, are also, they also ought to be descriptions of all those who seek to live in union with him. So I want you to think about that as we think about these Beatitudes, that this is, this is Jesus' account of what it means to live the good life. Many of us are searching for the good life, striving for it, wearing ourselves out for it. Jesus is telling us in these verses what the good life is. So let's take a look, let's take a look at this at this first beatitude, if you if you remember it. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the most important question of the day, the most important question of this verse, and the most debated element of this beatitude in all of Christian history is this question Who Who are the poor in the spirit? Poor in spirit. Sorry, jumped ahead. Does poor in spirit mean material poverty, spiritual poverty, both? Chances are, if you've heard sermons on this text, especially in conservative evangelical spaces, when you hear poor in spirit, you hear humble, you hear poverty of spirit. That is, this is the kind of person who recognizes their need for God. Sounds good. As a matter of fact, there are a bunch of Bible translations that would suggest that this is the way to think about this text. I want to run through a few of those. First, the the common English Bible. Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The contemporary English version. God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. The easy to read version. Great Blessings belong to those who know they are spiritually in need. God's kingdom belongs to them. Now, I want you to hear that, 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 that these translators have made their decision as to what poor means. Poor means spiritually poor, which means spiritually in need of God. But, what if that's not Jesus' primary meaning in this text? What if poor just actually means poor, like it does every single time that word shows up in the New Testament? What if what God is communicating, what the Son of God is communicating, is that He has a particular care and preference for those who are suffering, especially those in material poverty? I want you to take a look at this quote from an Indian biblical scholar. And it's going to sound a little bit complicated, but don't worry, I'll, 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 I'll explain. He says this, Western exegesis, which forms part of the vast ideological production of an opulent and intensely consumerist society, basically saying that uh, Western interpretation of the Bible is coming out, of a, it's coming out of a space that's very used to being rich and focused on consuming. A society based on principles diametrically opposed to those of Jesus has inclined to the latter interpretation and has systematically tried to spiritualize the gospel understanding of the poor. This tendency to spiritualize the poor and the Beatitudes, which crosses all denominational boundaries and makes exegetes agree on this point when they would hardly agree on anything else, is a, is a good indication of the degree to which exegetical currents are, in fact, determined by the spirit of the age. What's he, what's he saying there? He's saying that one thing that everybody wants to agree on is that this is all just spiritual and not actually applying to physical realities. But that there's something, there's also something about, there's also something about our culture and our economy that encourages us to not think in that way. And brothers and sisters, you, 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 should, you should already know by now that if, that, if, that, that, that if there is something that I see that the economy is to, it wants us to see the scriptures in a particular way, I'm going to equip us to resist that. And so one of the ways that we're going to have to do it with this verse is we are not going to be allowed to over spiritualize it. And here's, and here's another reason why I think it's really important that we do that. In Luke... Jesus has Beatitudes as well. And they sound a lot like Matthew's. But in Luke 6, 20, the first of Jesus' Beatitudes in that text, Jesus just says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And I think, and I, and, 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 and I think what we're being told by Luke and Matthew is that actually they're saying the same thing. So let me tell you how, how, we can, how we can put those together. Happy are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven. We can also read that as, happy are the poor in the spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, happy are those who live in solidarity with the poor, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are those who by the Spirit live in solidarity with the poor because theirs is the kingdom of God. What Jesus is referring to is actually living in material solidarity with the needy. Why? Because this is how Jesus lived his life. And it means that that, that the one who lives in that way is reflecting the heart of God a heart that has always extended to the poor that has always extended to the orphan that has always extended to the widow has always been extended to the marginalized to be poor in the spirit is to be committed to the poor by the holy spirit so yes be humble humility is a good thing but but but, 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 but what does that what does that mean does it is it is it is, it, is, it, is, it, is it, talking about the way that you think about yourself no according to the scriptures to act out humility is to it's to it's to live in material solidarity with the needy because that's what jesus is that's what he's getting at but that's also the way that he lived his life and when you read the gospels you find over and over again that jesus is just constantly concerned with the poor And the fact that he and his people are supposed to always be caring about them. This is the first beatitude for a reason. It informs the entirety of Christ's ministry. And it ought to inform the entirety of our lives. Let me drive it deeper with an early church example. So so there's a text of scripture that makes a lot of American Christians uncomfortable. It is Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. And this is one of these stories that shows up in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you don't know the story, a rich, a rich young man comes to Jesus and he asks him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus names the commandments. He's like, you, you know the commandments. Don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the young man responds, hey, "Like yeah, like, I got it. Like, I've, I've been doing those things since I, was, since I was a kid. And so then Jesus decides to drop the hammer. And he says in Luke 18, 22, You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And what does this guy do? He leaves. Sad. Because we are told he had a lot of possessions. He left. Left Jesus for money, money. Much of the Western Christian tradition, including folks like Clement of Alexandria, Augustine and, and others, read this text and concluded, you know, Jesus didn't really mean, like sell all of your stuff, that would be wild. Um, and he's definitely not telling us to sell all of our stuff. No, clearly what he's, what he's saying is, just don't be so attached to your stuff. Maybe you, uh, maybe you sighed in relief when you heard that. But here's the thing. Jesus really did tell this rich man to sell everything that he had and give it to the poor. And he might be saying that to you. But even if he isn't. Even if he isn't. In Luke 12, Jesus is not talking to any particular individual. He's talking to the crowd of disciples. And in that, he says... Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Basil of Caesarea, another church father, in reflecting on this text, basically you've got, you've got two options. You can go the over-spiritual side and just say oh well no like he's not actually saying give up your possessions he's just saying think differently about your possessions but there but there, but there was also another interpretation in the early church that, 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 that especially took the took the root among 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 monks and it was no like this this command from jesus actually goes out to all of us so we all need to sell all of our stuff give it to the poor and go live in these monastic communities but Basil of caesarea comes in and he's like, actually, um, neither of those, n- neither of those, of those, of those interpretations work because both of those are deeply individualist interpretations of this text. You see, the failure of the rich young, the, the failure of the rich young ruler, was a failure to love his neighbor as himself. it was a, it was a failure to see everything that he had. As a gift from the Lord and thus meant to be distributed, especially to the needy. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is language we're gonna hear throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna have, there are probably gonna be like five or six sermons like this over the course of the next year because Jesus won't shut up about the poor. And if Jesus isn't gonna do it, we ought never do it. If we're, if we're claiming to be, a people who are patterning our lives alongside Jesus, of people who are shaped by the Holy Spirit, then that means every single one of us who claims to be a disciple of this Jesus ought to be be fundamentally committed to the material well-being of the poor. That's what treasure in heaven is. We're going to get a whole sermon on treasure on earth and treasure in heaven, but Jesus defines it. He's like, do you want treasure in heaven? Give to the poor. And guess what? This is, this, is, this is also the way that the New Testament defines love. We talk about love in a whole bunch of talk about love in a whole bunch of different ways. It's one of these words that it just it just gets thrown around. And, and the great thing about the Bible is that it tells us what love is. Let's ask. First John 3, 16 to 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Okay, does that mean I just just need to be like, just, just ready to die for everybody? Well, let's ask John. What does he say in the next verse? He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Huh. John's understanding of love is material. What about James? James two fifteen to 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way... Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What kind of action, James? I'm so used to this language of faith without works being dead. What are the works that you're talking about? Well, he, he defines them specifically. But what I'm talking about is material care for your needy brother or sister. Ethically definitional of the Christian faith is a care for the poor. Period. Like I cannot say that. I cannot say that enough. Christians care about the poor and ought to be known for their care for the poor. If you read, if you read Proverbs over and over again, when you when you get these descriptions of the righteous, it is often their care for the poor. When you read, this is is, is another thing. When you read Job, when, when 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 he is going through his suffering one of the things that most confuses him is he's like, I have been an advocate for the poor. Why would the Lord do this to me? Because that's because, because when, we, when we look through the scriptures and we, look to, and, and, we, and we look to understand what it means to be joined to God, what it means to be concerned about the things that God's concerned about, the way that that manifests itself is in care for the poor. When we read Deuteronomy, the primary grounding of the economy of God, the divine economy, is a care for the poor and, and the creation of a society where there actually aren't any poor because everybody has what they need and enough to share. To be poor in the spirit, It's to live in solidarity with the poor, to live lives that are marked by care for the needy, marked by care for the marginalized, care for those who are materially poor, and care for those who are considered outcast by society. Because that is the God that we serve. We serve a God who liberated his people out of the land of slavery. We serve a God who sent his own people into exile because two reasons, their idolatry and their oppression of the poor. If you don't know this God, this is what we spent the last year preaching through Isaiah on. It's pressed over and over and over again that this God is a God who takes the side of the exploited poor against the exploitative rich. This This is a God who sent his son to take on poor Jewish flesh in order to live a life of poverty, in order to lift us up into the divine life. That's the God that we serve. And that ought to be the God that we reflect. So why don't we? Well, that's because a lot of us are the uh, the opposite of poor in spirit, uh, poor in the spirit, and that is greedy. I want us to listen to this uh, from Basil of Caesarea. There's going to be a lot of Basel in this sermon. There's going to be a lot of Basel in the sermon on the Mount, just because I love it and it's shaping me. Um, these are particularly his words to those of us who are who are relatively well off. You know how to say only one thing: I do not have, I cannot give, I myself am poor. You are poor indeed and bereft of all goodness. Poor in love, poor in kindness, poor in faith towards God, poor in eternal hope. Make your brothers and sisters sharers in your grain. Give to the needy today what rots away tomorrow. Truly, this is the worst kind of avarice or greed. Not even to share perishable goods with those in need. If you want to get beat up some more, he's got a few sermons like that. Uh, and also, I'm going to keep quoting them, so you'll, don't worry, you'll get it. But, but the issue, dear brothers and sisters, is that we are often greedy and we need to repent. But there's another issue. And, and it's the way that we think about poverty. And the excuses that constantly go through our mind that keep us from giving to the poor. And you know the excuses. The poor are poor because of their own bad decisions. They're lazy. If I give this money, they'll just spend it on drugs. Whatever. You know the excuses. But here's the thing. When we read the Bible, and this is why it's, it's, so, it's so important for our assumptions to be shaped by the Scriptures. When, 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 when we read the way that the Bible talks about poverty, it's almost always as a result of exploitation and injustice. We're told by our current economy, that people are, in the, people are in the positions that they're in just because they worked hard. And if you just work harder, you can pull yourself up out of whatever you're in. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures tell us that if there is one thing that seems to be constant in human society, it is the desire to exploit one another and the fact that that's, that's going to keep happening. Much of the poverty that we see around us is the result of injustice and exploitation. And not only is that actually, like, just factually true, that's what the scriptures tell us. But here's the thing. Like, you don't, you don't, have, to be, you don't have to be well-versed in the ins and outs of financialized capitalism for you to be obedient to Jesus. What do I mean? Well, another early church theologian I want to quote. His name is John Chrysostom. And he says this, I just want you to listen to this. Give, I beg you, without any inquiry more than necessary. Need alone is the poor man's worthiness. If anyone at all ever comes to us with this recommendation, let us not meddle any further. We do not provide for the manners, but for the man. We show mercy on him, not because of his virtue, but because of his misfortune, in order that we ourselves may receive from the master his great mercy, in order that we ourselves, unworthy as we are, may enjoy his philanthropy. What's he he saying there is that the only thing that somebody, the only thing required of somebody for me to be able to give to them is the fact that they need it. They need food? Okay, I don't need to ask any other questions. They need clothes. I don't need to ask any other questions. But there's a, but, 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 but we're so we're, we have so many excuses, so many other things go through our minds. So many other priorities. I got other, I got other stuff to think about. I can't think about you. Remember that in, in Matthew 25, Jesus' last, his last, his last public teaching, when he talks about those who are without clothing, without food, he's saying that that, that that which you do to them, you do to me. So in those moments I want us to, I want us to think I'm, I, and 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 look throughout this entire series I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you so don't 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 see this as just a one way thing when when when, when 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 I see somebody who doesn't have food and my first thought is I've got other stuff to do what I'm doing is I'm forsaking the lord That's what's going on in that in that moment Brothers and sisters when 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 when, when we hear this text which which encourages us to live lives in solidarity with the needy. That is, blessed, happy are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We we hear that and we get scared. But Jesus actually wants us to know that this is the truly blessed and truly happy life. So, like, how could that possibly be true? Why? Why in the world would the poor in the spirit be happy? Because isn't isn't poverty bad? Yes! Yes! That's why God hates it. Because people die. Children starve. Women and men sell their bodies for sex in order to eat. God hates that state of affairs. I'm 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 reading through I'm, I'm reading through this 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 book right now. $2 a day. Living, living on almost nothing in America. Tracing these families who live on, on average, $2 a day per person. And these are people who, let's say that they like they that, 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 that they've that they've had a they've had a job, but it's been a but it's been a low wage job, one that they've just been just been kind of making it on, and then they get fired for some reason, and it's hard to find another job. I think look when, when 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 we first when we first came to Waco, and I was a graduate student, it took it took Desiree with all of her qualifications, super qualified, master's degree, all that stuff. It took months to find a job. When you're the only one providing for your family, you don't, at months, without anything? That's where, that, there, are, there are millions of families in this country living in, that, in those kinds of conditions. We have to be, we have to be a people who hate poverty and love the poor. Let me say that one more time. We have to be a people who, if we seek to reflect the God that we claim to serve, hate poverty and love the poor. Because that is what a life of true flourishing looks like. So then how can I do that? How can I actually live in that way? Um, one suggestion. There are going to be a few suggestions, but here's one. I believe we are called to live more simple lives. No, I'm not here to lay down. I'm not going to lay down rules for you, how much to spend on this or that or whatever. That's something for you to discuss with your family. But if you can't give as much as you would like, perhaps there are ways in which your life can simplify. And I'm not saying forego your needs. The Lord knows what you need, food, shelter, clothing, these things. But a lot of our spending is on like extra stuff. It's another Basel point. Uh, he's, 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 he's like the Lord that's constantly kind of pointed us toward the needy. And what the devil does is he, he, he creates all of these other opportunities for us to spend our money. Look at all these other things that we can spend our money on. Not thinking about where the Lord is calling us to invest. One way for us to be able to live in solidarity with the needy is for us to consciously seek to live more simple Lives. It's funny. I was talking to uh, I was talking to a past uh, a pastor mentor of mine um, back in back in New Haven, um, and he was saying that he knows of very few people who live basically who live kind of below their means with like all of their all their needs met. So there's like, basically a friend of ours who, who is in who is in finance and just like but you would never you would never know it. Because the way that he lives is just one of radical generosity, such that he doesn't—he doesn't—he's not—he's not living lavishly, and then you find out how much he's making. You're like, "What? Huh? That's not how I'm used to that looking." But for a Christian, if that's true of you, your life ought not be ought not be ought, 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 ought not be characterized by luxury, but it ought to be characterized by generosity. John Stott and a few others got together to write a document called An Evangelical Commitment to a Simple Lifestyle, which is great, you should take a look at it. But in it, he actually outlines some of the elements of what I would call being poor in the spirit. He says this, We resolve to get to know poor and oppressed people, to learn issues of of injustice from them, and and to seek to relieve their suffering, and to include them regularly in our prayers. It's a wonderful summary. It also sets up what is the only voting advice that you will ever hear from this pulpit from me, which is this. Act politically in the best interests of the poor. That's your first thought. Whenever it is that the Lord has given you power or authority of any kind, the reason why he gives that to you is to serve the marginalized. Think about that. Every day, the reason why the Lord has given me, the reason why the Lord has blessed me is so that I can be a blessing. That's why he blessed Abraham. That's what he sold. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. Like, that's why the Lord does what he does. That's why the Lord sets you up in whatever positions He sets you. he sets you in. He sets you there specifically to love those who are ignored, those who are marginalized, the poor. This call to live a more simple life is a call to give to your brothers and sisters. Because Jesus was right when he said, as Paul quoted him, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is the giver is often happier than the receiver. I know that, look, like, like, I, I, look out, I look out on this congregation and I see people who I admire because of the ways in which you so generously give to your brothers and sisters when people have expressed need and i have seen i have seen you reach out to each other where where in the in the very moment when the need is presented i see people jump on it how can i come alongside you that's what the body of christ is supposed to be that's the way that that's that's the way that christ is calling us to live that's 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 the way of true joy there's a joy that comes in solidarity that cannot be experienced when you hoard. People who hoard, you just keep to, 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 try to try to keep all this stuff to themselves. Living a life of just constant trying to protect all of your stuff. There's no joy in that. There's only fear. There's fear. What, what's going to happen? When is the moth going to eat this? When is the rust going to eat this? What, what are the systems that I can set up to, to, to make sure that rust, that, that rust doesn't affect me? What are the insecticides that I can, that I can spray my goods with so that, so that I never lose them? Or we can invest them the way that the Lord would have us invest them, that is, care for the needy. But here's the last thing, and I think the most, the most important point. That the second half of this verse is important. Happy are the poor in the spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is is theirs. I want you to notice that that is in the present tense. That is not saying that the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. Saying that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That is, to whom belongs the kingdom of heaven now? The poor in the spirit. And so the community that's supposed to bear witness to that kingdom the community that's supposed to be a herald of that kingdom, the community that's supposed to live by the logic of that kingdom, the church, we should be chock full of folks who are poor in the spirit, talking and acting and thinking of ways that we can more effectively come alongside the needy. Brothers and sisters, we are in a city. I've said this before, but Waco has a poverty rate that is is more than double the national average and almost double the rate of our state. And if that is true, this is something that ought to be at the forefront of our minds and our efforts. And in a city with so many churches, that statistic is largely to our shame. Brothers and sisters, it begins here. As I said, I've been I've been I, I, I have been and continue to be encouraged by the poor in the spirit among you, by brothers and sisters who stand ready to give to the needy in their midst, brothers and sisters who live simply so that they can be ready to give, brothers and sisters whose whose hearts break for the poor, whose whose hearts break for orphans, whose whose hearts reach out in solidarity to single parents, but not only those who who feel these ways, but those who actually live materially in those ways, who actually marshal the material resources that they've been given. In support of the needy you brothers and sisters are the poor in the spirit you're the ones who the Lord calls happy you're the ones to whom belong the kingdom of heaven and my call to each of us is that we would join them that we would go before the Lord in repentance and that we would believe the good news that that he has come to free us from the bond from our bondage to sin and from our bondage to the devil Especially in our greed—that is, this, 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 this desire that we have that pushes us forward to to accumulate more and more and more. I got one more point because here's the thing: like we we're we're, we're like we're cutting a song, so that just gives me more sermon time. So bonus. These are these are these are bonuses. Um, so 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 there is there's there's like a movement. And this is also, I think, true in some, in some Christian circles where, where, where we think, okay, look, I, I, want, I want to make more so that I can give more. So let me just make more and more and more just so that I can give more. Um, first of all, that's a really... The, the, those of us who, 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 who think in that way, we're thinking really optimistically about ourselves. Because, also Basel, um it makes this point that actually, what happens is when we make more, we just kind of re-narrate our needs, and so we're just like, so as we make more, we're just like, well, no, like these are just more things that I need, um, and so and so really, really, just practically, that's not the that 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 that, that doesn't actually that that's, that that's not the way that this actually works. So the encouragement then is just to, just just place it. We got we 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 have to learn to place all of this before the Lord, whatever it is that the Lord sees fit to give us. We have our needs, we have our care for the we have our care for the poor. The Son of God looks on us. Even in, our, even in our greed, even in these struggles, he looks on us with mercy, and he freely gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live in the way that he has called us to live. And when you do this, you're going to find encouragement in your brothers and sisters doing it too. So I, 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 I want us as a, as a community, this is n- not just over the course of this series, but I mean, especially this week, but also just kind of over the course of our lives. I want you to share stories and opportunities with your brothers and sisters to go together where the needy are. And to remember that this is not extra super Christian stuff. This is basic Christianity. This is mere Christianity. Christ took on flesh, lived, and died and and and, and, and was raised in solidarity with us and, and, and in order to equip us to live that way with one another. Because then we can be a community that, that when the rest of Waco, when the rest of Waco sees us, they don't just see this beautiful multi-ethnic, multicultural community, which you are is beautiful. But but I also but I also want us to be a church that can be described as there where the poor are blessed. There where the poor are happy, where the poor are cared for in their need, where we can say of ourselves what the, what, the, what, the, what the New Testament church said about itself in Acts 2, that God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy people among them. Because when people came in with need, the people of God gathered around those people. I can't, I can't think of a, of, a, of a material condition that is more important than that for the church. So my prayer is that it would be so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. Let's pray.